The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning, everybody. It's good to worship the Lord with you today. Um, I think we're all in agreement together that Indiana Jones is the greatest treasure hunter uh, the world has ever known. Are we not in agreement about that? Okay, very good. Um, So uh, we know that he went searching after the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the magic stone for the village in India, um, the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ at the Last Supper, right? And the alien Aztec temple. And even though his theology was bad, uh, and the God of the Bible, the gods of India, and aliens are all equally active in the world, right? Bad theology there. Um, He was willing to give up so much to attain these treasures, wasn't he? He gave up his time. I mean, who knows how long? I mean, you know, the stories skip ahead and everything like that, but it could be like weeks, months maybe. Gave up resources. Uh, He put his standing in the field of archaeology on the line, right, to go and search these things out. People thought he was crazy. Uh, He put his safety on the line. He was willing to give that up. He gave up comfort and ease. Remember, he didn't like snakes very much, and he came in contact with snakes quite often. And then he was willing to give up his very life, to put his life in danger to find these things. You know, even just for the cause, remember he said it a few times, this belongs in a museum, like, right? And he just wanted to get these things in a museum for everybody to be able to share together. He was willing to give his life for that cause. So all this was worth it to him. He saw the treasure and what could come from it as more valuable than all those things he was willing to give up, right? One thing that in all Indiana Jones movies that happens is that there ends up being an important time of reminder, some kind of conversation between Indiana Jones and somebody else where either he reminds them or they remind him that uh, the, the value of what they're seeking is great. Some kind of conversation about that. It's, a, it's something in the movie that's supposed to you know, up the ante for us in terms of the value of what they're seeking and what's riding on it. And that conversation in some ways ends up realigning their efforts, their thoughts, their hearts to the full value of that treasure. Well, that's what our passage today uh, is pretty much unavoidable. It's going to do for us. 
It's going to realign our thoughts, our hearts, about the value of the treasure it's talking about. In fact, even as I talked to a few different people about, you know, preaching this Sunday, and they're like, oh, what are you preaching on? And I told them this passage, and they're like, wow, that's going to be a heavy one. Because everybody recognizes when they read this, and it's an amazing parable, right? It's amazing how short it is. And in such a short amount of words, it communicates so much. And we all kind of realize, wow, there's a lot riding on this. So let's ask for the Lord's help. Let's pray. Lord, you are far more wonderful and valuable than what we give you credit for. Getting to be with you, getting to be in relationship with you, getting to live in this world uh, free from the slavery of sin because of what you've done for us. These are just some of the things that are so valuable, Lord, that we do not give them the credit they deserve, or you the credit you deserve. Lord, increase our joy, please, in this time, our joy in you for who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So for the passage today, we're going to uh, look briefly at the nature of the parables that are contained in Matthew 13, even though we're only going to look at two of them. And then we're going to look at the glorious treasure, the glorious value of God's kingdom. And then we're going to look at the tremendous cost of attaining God and his kingdom. Well, first, uh, just something briefly about parables. As you come to them in Scripture, sometimes they're going to be longer or shorter. As you come to them, uh, it's important to remember that Jesus tells them with a purpose of communicating one or two main things in general. So it's not like we're meant to look at all the little details of the parable. They're meant to communicate one or two big ideas. So that's important for us today and whenever you approach parables. And as far as Matthew 13 goes, there uh, is kind of this theme of parables that talk about kind of a separation between two different things or a comparison between them. Um, this versus this kind of thing. And there's, there's this uh, level of value that is being put on the things that are being compared or separated. So we see the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. We see the parable of the weeds. We see the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, the leaven, parable of the treasure and the pearl, like in our passage. And uh, the parable of the net and new and old treasures. So some of the themes in these have to do with the kingdom of heaven versus the world. Hearing and understanding the word versus rejecting it. The kingdom of heaven has great value versus the things of this world not having great as great a value. Good seed versus bad seed. People and works of the kingdom of heaven versus the people and works of Satan's kingdom. And kingdom of heaven as having exponential growth. 
versus the things of the world which tend to shrivel up and die and are destroyed. So that's the course that Jesus uh, has been taking uh, his disciples through in this passage and th those that are listening. So that's what he's taking us through this morning. So let me just read the, the verses 44 through 46 one more time for us. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So first, the glorious value of the Lord in his kingdom. The parable is pretty clear that God's kingdom is worth more than all we have combined and all that the world offers combined. That's great value, isn't it? This is a clear picture in these parables. The kingdom of heaven is compared to something that someone is ready to give up everything they own in order to get that thing. But here's the problem, and this is what we all know, right? We tend to undervalue the kingdom of God, don't we? We tend to elevate the other things that we have or the things of the world and we undervalue the kingdom of God. We undervalue the Lord. Calvin said, we are so captivated by the world that eternal life and God's kingdom fades from our view. Isn't that true? That we end up focusing so much and being captivated by the things that are presented to us in the world that the things of God kind of fade from our view. We get so fixed on those things. And honestly, even as we try to seek after the kingdom of God, the world is very good at dogpiling on us the things that it wants us to pay attention to. And we're easily distracted. We are easily distracted. So what are the things of this world that you know captivate you and distract you from focusing on the Lord more clearly. What are those things? I know when I, uh, I mean, I'll just be honest about when I come to worship the Lord with all of you, usually the Lord is putting on my heart in the midst of worship. It's one of the places that I can almost guarantee that the Lord is going to put some things on my heart that are getting in the way of me being closer to him. So I wonder even this morning, as you've been singing to the Lord, as you've been praying to him, worshiping with your brothers and sisters in Christ here, maybe he's already laid some of those things on your heart. I know he does for me. 
And the world is screaming at you to put value in so many things. I mean, really screaming. I mean, in this country, it goes without saying. I mean, all you have to do is just drive down the road, especially Battleground Avenue. I mean, my goodness. You know, uh, there was a friend of mine, pastor friend who, um, this is when I was living in Indiana, and he was from Cincinnati like I am. And he talked about just driving down a street. It's called Colerain Avenue in Cincinnati. Colerain Avenue is the biggest jumbled up mess of signs of stores and advertisements. You just drive down and it's all just coming at you. Oh, this one here, this one here. That's what they offer. That's what they offer. That's what Battleground Avenue is in a lot of ways, right? You're just driving down and it's all just flooding to you, reminding you of things that you're to value, things that you should be seeking after. The world is screaming at us in that way to put value in those things and not only value that we feel like is going to deliver to our souls at some level, but also then what we're willing to pay, what we're willing to give up to get those things. And I know a lot of times maybe as you watch a TV show or you watch a sporting event or something on TV, there's times when I'm just like, I'm watching a commercial or something. I'm just like, they are totally trying. I mean, look at what they're trying to do in this. I mean, look at the, the, the plan that they have to try to get me to buy into what they're, they're trying to sell me and all this kind of stuff. It's so obvious what they're trying to do for me to put value in this, to, to grab onto my heart and my mind. And so most commercials, I feel like I'm, you know, pretty separated from them. I can keep them at arm's length and they don't really bother me. But sooner or later, there's something that comes across the screen, you know, that just starts to tug on you, just starts to tug on you, to get you to measure value in life, what you're willing to give up to get something, right? What are those things for you? What are those things that you see that the world puts before you that has you really starting to consider what you're willing to give up to get something? Time, resources, relationships, pouring into relationships. I mean, the t- what it takes to give up to gain something is a significant thing to weigh. The other thing that... that not giving enough value to the Lord and his kingdom does, is that it actually keeps us from enjoying things that he's given to us as gifts, honestly. So we value other things rightly in light of valuing the Lord and putting him in the place that he deserves to be. And there's a book, uh, I think the author is David Noggle. He wrote a book a while ago called Reordered Loves, Reordered Lives. And the whole premise of that book was when we reorder the loves that we have to the things that are of most value and to, to the Lord, obviously, then our lives will be reordered. So our joy and our thankfulness and all those things that we want to pour ourselves in, in love to the Lord as we realign those things, then our lives, even the things that the Lord gives us as good gifts, will be in their rightful place. 
So it's good to enjoy things that the Lord has created for us. It's good to enjoy that. But when we put creation above creator, we love the created more than the creator, that's where things start to get out of whack. Just think about, um, I mean, I, 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 you know, when I was dating Jody in high school, okay, um, I idolized her, okay? She was an idol in my life. I worshipped her and set affections on her that were too high, too high. So that then, when she did not deliver on everything I was setting on her, that made me disappointed. That made me anxious. That made me fearful. I was putting things on her that were not meant to be on her. They were meant for the Lord. I was putting my hope in a created being who is beautiful and awesome, and I love being with her. I love spending time with her. Like, all those things are good, but I wasn't thinking about them in light of God and loving him first and setting my hope fully on him. Another thing that this can do for us, uh, this is another thing that's happened to me. So I watch by God's grace. I'm not fully redeemed in this way yet, all right? So just hang with me on this. Uh, I watch sports differently now than what I used to, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke you a little bit here, all right? Did you know that the Lord is just as glorified in the outcome of a Duke Carolina game no matter what happens? Ooh, that hurts for some of you, doesn't it? Now, I need to put that back on myself because I'm not from this area originally, so I don't have as much riding on that game. The Lord was just as glorified in the Rams winning the Super Bowl as he was if the Bengals would have won. And I'm a Bengals fan. He was just as glorified. It would, he actually, so that was his plan, that the Rams would win. And he's glorified in that. Now, am I disappointed that the Bengals lost? Yes. I am disappointed that the Bengals lost. I wish they would have won that game. But the Lord's plan and what he's doing in the world is far better than just one team. He's working and doing things in both teams, in their communities, in their families. In, there's so much more going on. But if I love what my plan is and what I feel like is going to build up my kingdom the most, and I put that over love of the Lord and the building of his kingdom, I'm going to be fearful and anxious and disappointed and a cranky head, okay? 
And I'm going to end up treating people poor. Like, if I'm so upset that the Bengals lost and I still hold on to that, I'm still going to be thinking about how I think the refs were terrible refs or whatever. I'm going to start looking at human beings differently and judging them according to how the whole thing just didn't end up the way I wanted it to. So, reordering our loves and putting the value on the Lord and his kingdom that it deserves will put the proper value and emphasis on created and good things that he gives us in this world. Then there's lots of other examples of that, like thankfulness for food and um, getting to enjoy time with friends and family, uh, getting to enjoy playing sports with your kids or with friends, like showing up and even just a prayer before you go to play pickleball, right? And you're just like, Lord, help me to be okay with however I play tonight, (laughs) whatever the outcome is, Lord, help me. Help me to take joy in just playing and being with these people. Help me to, to just rest my love and my affections on you, even as I do this thing that I'm about to do. Do we value, this is another level of it here, do we value the simple and profound ways of living in God's kingdom here on earth? that will bring us even closer to him. Calvin says, spiritual graces of God, the spiritual graces of God are far from being held by us in the estimation they deserve. So just living in this life, doing the things that God calls us to that will help us to grow closer with him, we don't put the value on those things like we should. So, loving and desiring his word. Everything I'm going to list off here is like super simple stuff that you've heard maybe your whole life that you know that we just need to grow in them all the time, right? But are we putting the value on them? Are we trusting in what God says in his word about doing these things that they will draw us closer to him? Are we trusting in what they will do for us and loving them? So loving and desiring his word, talking with the Lord in prayer. Do we we see ourselves um, striving and loving to pursue after the Lord, getting ever closer to praying without ceasing? That's not going to happen in this life, yes. We're not going to be able to pray without ceasing until we're with him for all eternity. But are we striving for that do we love the, the the opportunities that we get to grow more and more in prayer and talking with him worshiping the lord with his people this is a huge mark of of what it means to be a follower of christ there's this simple connection if you love jesus you love his body if you love jesus you love his body you love his people You love to worship him with his people. I know that we've just come out of a pandemic where we could not do that as often. And I know that uh, some of us have struggled in getting back into the rhythm of being with God's people. 
But if, if it feels like some of those things have diminished in you, or maybe, honestly, that the pandemic just revealed that we don't love God's people as much as what we thought we did, or that we should. And so being with one another in person to worship the Lord is a great gift of the Lord. And it's a picture, it's a precursor to heaven. And so loving Jesus and loving his people go hand in hand. If we're having a hard time, I mean, God's people are not perfect. I mean, we know we got to work through stuff together, right? That's why he tells us to bear with one another in love. But as much as we have to struggle with one another in hard things as his people, I mean, it's supposed to be a picture of us bearing with one another in love because the Lord has bared with us in love. He's bared with us in our sin and our complication and our evil and our selfishness, right? He bears with us in that. So the same way that he's loved us, we're to love his people and to bear with one another in love and to gather together to worship him, to see each other singing to him, to see each other praying to him, to receive the word of God together. These are great gifts of his. And we should see a sense of these, a joy in that, a pursuing after that, growing in us over the years. It shows the, the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So worshiping the Lord with his people. Sharing life with his people. Sometimes as Christians, we can kind of get stuck in like, oh, when I show up to church, that means I'm, I'm being a Christian. I go, to, I go to church. And that's good, like, keep coming. Um, but there's a sense in which we're supposed to be sharing life together outside of just Sunday mornings. Like, doesn't that make sense that, that the Lord would want to do more things through us to one another? outside of just a couple hours on a Sunday morning? Doesn't that make sense? I mean, we get that picture in Scripture. We see the effect of that on our lives, the encouragement, the challenge, the exhortation that, that one another gives, we give to each other, right? So sharing life with his people. Telling people about the Lord, believers and unbelievers. Talking to people about who the Lord is and what he's done for us, right? So are we treasuring these things that lead us into greater closeness, greater intimacy with the Lord? Are we treasuring these things? Just that simple statement from Jesus, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your heart set on Jesus in these ways? I love this way of, of thinking about are we putting the right value on the Lord's kingdom? We must prefer it, God, his kingdom. We must prefer him to all riches, pleasures, honors, and in And I think it takes an honest conversation with the Lord and yourself about, okay, let me line up all the things that I have or I desire to have. Let me line them up next to 
God and his kingdom next to Jesus. Do I prefer, and let's say heavily prefer, do I prefer Christ over any one of these things on this list or all of them put together? To, to take that time to, to just think through lining it up and, and saying, compare this compared to this. What do I value more? What do I love more? What do I pursue after more? What do I want to grow in pursuing after more, right? That's part of it. What do I want to grow in pursuing after more? Do we prefer Christ over all this stuff over here? Riches, pleasures, honors, and advantages of the world. Lastly, the idea of the tremendous cost. So we just talked about the glorious value, tremendous cost. Think about these two lines from our passage. Sells all that he has and buys. And sold all that he had and bought it. That's where we get that tremendous weight, right? Of these, of these parables. All. And bought it. Kind of reminds me of the, the rich young ruler, remember? Who came to Jesus. And he wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. And he was thinking he, he had checked all the boxes with, with just, oh, I, I haven't done these things or I have done these things. Jesus kind of lists off the commandments. And he's thinking, oh, this is how I, I get the kingdom. But then in the end, he loved his riches more than he loved the Lord Jesus. So it really wasn't about the works that he did. It was about where his heart was. Did he love the Lord more than his riches? He did not, and he went away. And then in Philippians 3, listen to what Paul says. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul here is comparing what he found value in, what he loved. He loved striving as a Hebrew, as a Pharisee, he loved striving to justify himself by his works according to the law. He loved it. He loved it. And so for him, that was where he was pouring himself into, what he was striving after. But when Christ changed his heart, 
changed his mind, gave him faith in the Lord Jesus, right? Now, even it doesn't say that he didn't, doesn't still struggle with some of these things, right? He counts those things as loss now. He's willing to cast them aside to gain Christ. Get rid of all that to gain the most invaluable thing. That was valuable to me. This is more valuable than all of that. Some quotes from uh, David Platt I thought were really helpful, really um, convicting, challenging to me, encouraging. He says, for those who are searching and surprised. So in the two parables, you have someone who is searching. So there's someone who is looking for pearls and found a pearl of great value. And then you have someone who was surprised. He just found the the treasure in a field. He was digging and he found it. So he says, for those who are searching and surprised, the kingdom of heaven is something worth losing everything for. There is great reward in submitting to the redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ. And this reward is greater than everything this world offers. Because the kingdom of heaven is something worth losing everything for, we joyfully let go of all things in order to passionately take hold of one thing. And isn't that true, right? In verse 44, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. That's, the, that's like a, a huge measuring stick for us. Are we joyful about the Lord? Are we joyful? Do we feel his joy? Like Eric Little, you know, Eric Little, the great missionary uh, who was an Olympic runner. When he ran, he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Do we feel the pleasure of the Lord? Do we feel joy in the Lord when we think about, when we commune with him, when we Think about growing closer to him. Is there joy in that? That's a great measuring stick for us. If we're not feeling any joy, if we're not anticipating joy at some level even too, then does that mean that maybe we don't know the Lord Jesus? Maybe we really haven't experienced freedom in him. We've never really come to know him. Or does it mean we have been given over to many distractions? And many things that have squelched that joy. Things that have caused the things of God to to fade out of our view. So in his joy, he goes and sells. There's joy in casting things to the side and giving up these other things. Even in his way of living, his way of living, his kingdom living versus my way of living? Am I ready to even cast aside my way of living that doesn't line up with his way of living? Just a couple more things. We cannot buy our salvation. That's not what this is saying. We cannot buy our salvation, right? I love the the passage in Isaiah where it's talking about coming to the Lord, uh, repenting and coming to the Lord, being in relationship with him. 
And uh, God says to his people through Isaiah, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's what it is to come to the Lord Jesus. We get to come and enjoy him without paying anything. Like we can't earn our salvation. We get to enjoy him. We get to enjoy the gift of him without money and without price. It's really more the cost of the kingdom of God, of being in relationship with the Lord, is more about what we have to give up than trying to attain something, trying to pay for something, right? So throw aside things that keep you from spiritual blessings in Christ. Deny those things that are injurious to godliness. Give up running our lives and submit to Christ in his life. Give up our kingdom building for his kingdom. Deny ourselves. Embrace Jesus. Give up slavery to sin. Give up seeking our good only. Give up seeking the pleasures of this world and seek the riches of Christ. In the Jesus storybook, uh, there's this great, and the, the, the story is called Treasure Hunt, okay? I encourage you to read that to your kids, your grandkids. Great line at the end, great couple lines. Coming home to God is as wonderful as finding a treasure. You might have to dig before you find it. You might have to look before you see it. You might even have to give up everything you have to get it. But being where God is, being in his kingdom, that's more important than anything else in all the world. It's worth anything you have to give up because God is the real treasure. He's calling us into relationship with him to enjoy him as the great treasure. He is the treasure. And as we approach the table, I guess I might steal some thunder here, maybe. <laughs> but as we approach the table, there's that sense in which we have to remember that for us to understand how great of a treasure God is, the only way we're going to get there is at first submitting to the fact that he has made, he has shown us that he treasures us. We wouldn't know him as a treasure if he didn't treasure us first. That's a great and glorious thing, that he has treasured us and shown his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that he can be in relationship with us and us with him and so that's what it means to come home to him to treasure him to come into that relationship with him may we treasure him far more than all the other things combined that we can think of or imagine or that the world has to offer to us let's pray together Lord, thank you for treasuring us. We would not be here in this room uh, ready to praise you and thank you for dying for us. We would not be here in this room uh, if you had not treasured us first. 
But Lord, I know uh, we struggle in treasuring you. Lord, help us uh, to not forget what you're laying on our hearts here now. Help us to follow through on denying some things, casting things to the side so that we can lay hold of you more firmly as our treasure. Spirit, please do that work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.